know what I was doing. I had to go to the bathroom really bad, so I think I was focused on that. So just to be honest with you, <laughs> that was a that was a focus instead of getting my headset on. Oh man! Well, I changed the the, the title of my sermon just a hair from what <coughs> Larissa put in the email and what was um, just a little bit. I think I'm going to call it. Thank, mission and Thanksgiving when it hurts. And it's really perfect because for all of us Vols fans that watched us get whipped this last week, it kind of hurt yesterday. <laughs> and for Alabama fans, it kind of hurt for y'all too, didn't it? That felt good to at least say that after, after I said that for Tennessee. What? You guys don't watch football, do you? We don't have a, very, we don't have a big sports uh, church, do we? That's okay. And the thing I learned is that non-sports people love it when people talk about sports a lot, whenever they don't. So, <laughs> you're like, I can't wait to hear about something I don't care about. <laughs> okay, we'll get the train back on the track. Man, it's been a little rainy outside, hasn't it? Is that, that was a bad idea. That was a, that was a joke. All right, so now we're really on track. Um, we just finished up our month of prayer and fasting. I want to make mention of that. We had a, uh, a, a good group of folks, mostly not Stones River folks, but we had, a, we had a good prayer night, didn't we, John? That was good. Yes, I'm, Nathan's pointing at himself. He was here. Him and Jonah ran the slides and stuff for us, which was really awesome. So um, just thank you to everyone that has spent, spent time praying and fasting. I'm just going to encourage you that, like, to help this to become a discipline in our lives, right? That we <coughs> spend... Um, that intimacy with God and praying and fasting for our city and, and listening to God's voice is so important and that we continue to do that, right? I'm glad that we take a month um, to do it as a, as a group of people, but let's, let's, let's make that a, a lifestyle, a lifestyle of prayer and fasting before the Lord. It's, it's so beautiful. God has been doing some amazing things um, as we've prayed and fasted and sought his face, right? That's why we got Miss Julie back there, Right? Alrighty, so again, the title of my sermon today is going to be uh, Mission Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving When It Hurts. So last week we talked about Thanksgiving, and that was great. Anyone read Psalm 100 this week again? Yeah, a few people, yeah. I saw Lauren made a playlist based off of song, Psalm 100, so that's like extra credit or something. That was pretty cool that she posted on Discord. Um, something I spent multiple times this week meditating on that. I love that psalm. And I know last week I talked about just thinking through like Jesus and his thankfulness. And I wanted to talk about that today, but I'm going to add a little bit more. So you can go to the next slide. Um, I was, there we go. I pulled up several passages um, and I just started meditating on some of these passages about his thankfulness. And I know oftentimes Jesus is thankful around food, which I'm very thankful around food, huh? Y'all are, we're pretty, we like food here. Um, when he's <clears throat> uh, breaking the bread and, and having the cup, that's one thing that he says is that he, that he, he gave thanks. Um, another place where he gives thanks that I love, and I will mention it today is, and I know Chuck likes this place, is whenever Lazarus is being called out from the tomb and he thanks the Father that the Father is listening to him. But as I, as I read through some of these and I was thinking through this, this one passage really just stood out. And it's not because of the passage itself, it's because of the context surrounding the passage. And so if you want to go to, just go to Matthew 14. We'll spend a lot of time in 13 through something. Whatever the end of this feeding of the 5,000 is 21, I think. 
Yeah, 14 through 21. Um, but we're going to actually back up a little bit before he feeds the 5,000 because I think that it's going to help us to really see the beauty, the struggles that I think Jesus went through. Sometimes we see him as just this, this godlike figure that didn't have human challenge, struggles, didn't actually participate in having pains and sorrows and different things like that, when he absolutely did. He absolutely did. The feeding of the 5,000, by the way, is, I believe, besides the resurrection, the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. Did you all know that? So I think that's kind of awesome as well. But what happens before he feeds the 5,000? I'm going to start in, in verse 1 real quick of chapter 14, I think. Um, at that time, Herod the ruler heard reports about Jesus, and he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist, he has been raised from the dead, and for this reason, these powers are at work in him. Right. So Herod, this is Herod Antipas, he hears that there's this Jesus, he's doing these miracles, and all these things, and he thinks this is John the Baptist raised from the dead. And then what does Matthew do? He does the backstory. You know, we watch those, we watch Netflix, we know what's going on. We watch the movies, and all of a sudden they zip to the backstory. I love backstories. Like, that's some of my favorite stuff is when I'm like, why did they do that? I want to know why they act like that. Why does he think that Jesus is John raised from the dead? In verse 3 it says, Herod, so backstory time. Herod had arrested John, you can go to the next slide, bound him and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been telling him, it is not lawful for you to have her. So pause for a second and just what's taking place is, uh, this is Herod Antipas, his father was Herod the Great. His father rebuilt the second temple. Like Herod the Great did a lot of amazing things. When Herod the Great dies, he actually sp splits his territory up between his sons. Herod Antipas has Galilee in this region of Galilee, and he's, that's why he's called Herod the Tetrarch, which means ruler. ruler. Um, so he's ruling this area. There's this Herodian dynasty that's kind of taking place, these Herods that are continuing to come and, and be the ruler of this area where God's people, right, the people of Israel are. And there's a problem here. You know when I talked about several weeks ago that the, the message that was proclaimed was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was the message. The message was God's kingdom has been brought near to mankind, so there, you need to do something about it. Something needs to change. Well, what we see throughout the Gospels is when we have this idea that God's kingdom has been brought near, there's battles and there's fights between the kingdom of man, the kingdom of the enemy, and the kingdom of God. And right here we see these things clashing, right? So what we see is we see Herod, who had married his brother Philip's wife, who was his um, sister-in-law and also his niece, I believe. So it was this kind of weird thing that he did. And John is saying, hey, if you want to follow the ways of Yahweh, because Herod sort of did, right? He actually practiced Passover, they say, uh, Sukkot. So like he is not Jewish, but he's interested in, or at least he's trying to appear to be interested in the Jewish religion. And so John's calling him out saying, if you are going to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you can't sit here, be over here marrying your sister-in-law and niece. It's just, this just doesn't work out, Herod. You can't just do whatever you want. But for Herod, he wants to do whatever he wants. That's the heart. 
wants what the heart wants and we make excuses for why, you know, we can do whatever we want and Herod has decided that this is what his heart wants and he doesn't care whether it clashes with the idea that God's kingdom's being brought near or not. That's, that's, that's a whole message in and of itself for us to check our hearts and to say, hey, are we so excited and, and thrilled by God's rule that we wholly accept it or we find ourselves fighting against it? And when we do, what do we do? Do we submit to our own ways as Herod and Herodias do? Or do we submit to the king who we know wants what's best for us and he knows the way we were created and all these wonderful things? But Herod rejects that. In verse 5 it says, Though Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded him as a prophet. So John the Baptist was well regarded by many people, and they believed, many believed he was a prophet from God. So now Herod has this problem. He has all these Jewish people living in this area of Galilee where he's ruling, right? It's, it's politics. He doesn't want to take them off, right? Would you? I mean, right? I mean, these are people that you don't want, you don't want to create unrest in your territory. You want these people to be on your side. And so what do you do whenever you don't like what one of them is, what this great prophet is doing? You don't like what he's saying is supposed to take place in God's kingdom. I care about my kingdom. I care about Herod's rulership. What do you do? He throws him in jail, right? So verse 6 says, he's throwing him in jail, but when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias, so this is Herodias, who he married, his, his brother's wife, his brother Philip's wife. Her daughter is Salome, danced before the company, and she pleased Herod so much that he promised on oath to grant her whatever she might ask. So let's paint the picture of kind of what's happening here. Like oftentimes at these parties, there was lots of alcohol and stuff that was flowing uh, Salome was probably doing a seductive dance. So you've got Herod sitting, you know, uh, uh, having all these guests, all these A-listers, um, Bruce, and, and all these people are around, and they're probably drinking and partying, and it's probably getting a little ruckusy. And then they say, hey, Herodias, your daughter is beautiful. Bring her out. And she's dancing before them, and they're probably cheering, and Lord knows what else, uh, that, that what's taking place. And Herod decides, this is one of the reasons I think he was probably drinking, because, you know, we all know, the more alcohol we drink, the, the less wise we are. Or the more we tell, that we probably wouldn't tell to people otherwise. <laughs> Anyone ever drink too much and tell some stuff they wish they wouldn't have told? Well, everybody would be all quiet. They, they, you guys haven't. That's good. I have. <laughs> I definitely have. Yeah. But so he gets this idea that she's dancing and probably beautiful and says that he promised on oath in front of all these A-list guests to just grant her whatever she might ask. That was a mistake. <laughs> that was a, probably feeling pretty tipsy or pretty good, and I'm just going to say this thing. Not only is he uh, liking what she does, I'm sure he wants to prove how powerful and how great he is to his guests, right? Because I think it's... Mark, Mark that says, Mark or John says in the same passage that he says, up to half my kingdom. Like, maybe he's thinking, man, I'm just going to prove how powerful I am. I could give up to half of that because I've got plenty of rule and plenty of place to reign. Go to the next slide. But it says, prompted by her mother, this is Herodias, who is probably so irritated at this John who keeps interfering with this marriage, keeps saying, you shouldn't do this. 
that it prompts her to do something pure evil, just straight up, right? She said, give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. I mean, think about how this is like, right? We, we hear this story a lot, but I mean, put yourself there, right? This is, this is awful, to say the least. Like, that words can't even express. Kill him. Chop his head off and bring it here on a platter. Kids are in, okay, yep, okay, sorry. The king was grieved. So he didn't want to do this. He knew that this probably wouldn't look good politically for him. Yet out of regard for the oath and for his guests, he commanded it to be given. So, like, you can't be a ruler that says, I'll give you this, and then just turn around and decide, I'm not going to do that. He's got all these great guests, and he's, because he opened his mouth, foot in mouth. This is classic foot in mouth, isn't it? Anyone ever do anything like this? He sent and had John beheaded in prison. The head was brought on a platter and given to the girl who brought it to her mother. I, w- I wonder what that was like, because if someone hands me a head on a platter, I'm giving it away. I don't, want, I don't want anything to do with that. His disciples came and took the body, buried it, and then went and told Jesus. So that's what actually leads up to the story of him feeding the 5,000. A truly a story that's, just, that's evil, right? I mean, it's gross. It's like this you know, wild partying and uh, seductive dancing and killing one of God's prophets, one of God's man, men. And it says in verse 13, you can go to the next slide. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there to a boat, in a boat, to a deserted place by himself. <clears throat> so he hears and he finds out that not only was all this kind of evil stuff going on, this looks like the kingdom of the enemy kind of won this battle, doesn't it? Like when you take a step back, you're like, well, they, he won that one, right? It's what it appears, appears to look like. Not only is that the case, but this is his cousin who's just been beheaded, Right? This is the one who leapt in Elizabeth's womb whenever Mary came near. Like, this actually, there's no doubt in my mind that this hurt Jesus, and that's why he goes and he withdraws, because he's got to think about that. We, I mean, many of us have been in, maybe not, yeah, I mean, in a similar situation. We've had loved ones pass away. We've had bad things happen to great men and women of God, and it just leaves us sometimes, like, scratching our head. Anyone experienced that before? God, Why? What's going on? Like I, it looks like the enemy kind of won this one. I mean, I remember when my sister-in-law passed away and how I just, the, I just remember the next day just kind of surreal and frustrated, told, telling God, I just, what happened? Frustrated with myself. God, did I lack faith? You know, I mean, I'm just being real. I'm just like, I don't know. You have all these emotions that are flying in and I'm going, what What happened? She loved you, Lord. <laughs> she loved you a lot. She's dead. I mean, it just, it was not, it wasn't great. And I needed to be alone with God. I needed to be alone with the Father to spend some time talking to him. And I think that he's okay with me being real with him. And I spent some time doing that. I feel like, and I see here that Jesus is kind of doing the same. Like he's going to go spend time with the Father. Next slide. I uh, stopped in the middle of that verse. Uh, Verse 13 says, but when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. So imagine something like this happening and you're at your house and you're just like, I need some alone time. 
And during this alone time, you have the kids running around, or the grandkids, or the nieces and nephew, and they need you. And you're, it, that's, it's difficult. You have work calling you going, I know this happened, but listen, I, got, I, need, I, need, I need you for this. And you just want to scream, leave me alone. I need some alone time. Jesus has these crowds that are following him. And what's so interesting about this, and I, and, I, and I called it mission, being on mission, being obedient to God, even when it hurts, doesn't mean ignore the grief and the pain that you're going through and just be like, who cares, let's just keep going. Because what you'll see at the end of this is Jesus actually goes back away by himself to spend time with the Father. But when he sees the crowds, it says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He's going through this, just lost his cousin, all these things. And he had compassion for them. And he cured their sick. I'm blown away by the fact that I would probably scream, go away, or I would figure a way to get them out. But Jesus knew the Father wanted to do something here. And what I think is such a key, amazing phrase about our God, about our King and our God, is he had compassion on them. Like, I think of the people that have probably traveled. Think about these people. Some of them probably came with their children who have been sick. Some of them may be dealing with diseases for 10 years, 15 years. Like, all I need to do is I need to see this Jesus, and I know that, that I will be healed. And Jesus was bro- He had compassion for them, man. Jesus didn't go around healing people just to prove he was Messiah or God. Jesus cared about people. He had a deep love for them. And this is something that God continues to, to check in my heart as we go on mission with him and as, a, as a family here, right? And we're uh, we have inner city uh, next door and Julie and Mitchell Nielsen and all these things. And, and God's checking my heart going, are you just doing it because you're supposed to do it? Or do you love these people, man? <laughs> do you care? Do you actually have compassion in your heart? Because Jesus had deep compassion. Am I running from one thing to the next to the next? Or do I care about these people? And Jesus did. And in this scenario, we know Jesus not only cared, not only had compassion, but he acted on that compassion. And he healed them. I know that, that there had to be some, in, sometimes in there I wonder if as he's doing this, if he's thinking back to John or thinking back to his situation, I, I, I don't know. I'd like to ask him that one day. Or if he's just in, in the mode of, of bringing healing to these people. But I think that there's times in our lives where there's, there's serious struggles in this life, right? <laughs> like, let's be real. <laughs> and there's times where we have to get away and we need to take some time and we need to grieve. But there's also times where I think we allow some of that to go to weeks and months and years. And God has this beautiful mission of bringing his kingdom near to people. And they're people who are broken. And maybe this is an encouragement this morning to say, I've got to get back in. It's time to participate in this. Or when we are going through something that's, that's, that's very challenging. Again, don't get me wrong. Don't hear that I'm saying to just ignore what's going on and keep marching forward. That's a huge mistake. But if there's someone that needs, that's in need and you feel in your heart, man, this is from God, 
for us to, to have that compassion towards those people, even when it hurts. Because I think sometimes we have big challenges like this, big hurts like this, but I also think there's times whenever work is just not fun. Anyone ever deal with that? Like smaller kind of hurts. Work is not fun or, um, you know, my spouse and I are not getting along as we, as we normally do as well. The kids have been extra difficult, you know, this week. Um, and the finances are really struggling. And so what do we do? Can we continue to be on mission and listening to what God's calling us to do, even when it's not the best of circumstances? Because the reality is, is you can read through the whole New Testament and see Jesus was able to operate with the Father even when it hurt a lot, actually. And I love that. I love seeing that side of Jesus. That he was willing and able and desired to bring healing and restoration and to show these people. I mean, think about this. John just got beheaded. Was, couldn't, wouldn't Jesus have thought, God, how am I supposed to heal these people whenever John, John's dead? <laughs> like, that, wouldn't, wouldn't that affect your faith? I don't know. Would it affect y'all's? I don't know. I mean, when, after my sister-in-law died, it was a little harder for me to pray for people sometimes because I'm like, okay, it didn't work, God. But Jesus still, after this takes place, has the faith and the compassion and love of the Father to say, no, he's good. <laughs> he wants to heal. He wants to restore. He wants to reveal the kingdom of God. It says, when, evening, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food themselves. Something that any of us that are were following Jesus probably would have said, right? If, if he was in today's day and age, it may be like we're out in some small town in Tennessee and go, well, it's getting dark and there's only a restaurant or two and a small grocery store, Jesus. If we want our folks to have some food, we need to send them on, right? Nothing wrong with that statement, I don't think, Not with that thought process. But listen to Jesus. Jesus said they do not need to go away. That blows my mind because I'm thinking the first thing I'd be thinking is, yes, get them out of here. I need to deal with this. <laughs> I've, had, I've had a rough time. I, I, do anyone, anyone like that whenever you get peopled out and you just want any excuse to not be around people? Right? Okay. That how, yes. Like, there are times whenever like, I'm, <laughs> and I'm assuming that Jesus through this process may be a little peopled out and it may be like an easy, it could have been easy for him to go, yeah, yeah, absolutely they need to go. Yep, send them other way. Probably would have been my thought, my response. Like, God, I did, a, I did some good for you, Father. But, so I'm good now, right? But no, the Father wanted to do more. So Jesus' response just blows my mind. Don't, they don't need to go away. Oh, you serious? You give them something to eat, which I love. Jesus is always challenging and growing his disciples. It's what he does, right? If we're his disciples, I think he does the same to us. I don't think he does. I know that he does the same to us. He doesn't always take everything uh, by the reins here in this scenario. He says, well, go ahead. You give him something to eat. I probably would have been like, um, kind of similar response to them, but Jesus, what are you talking about? <laughs> Me give them something to eat. Us give them something to eat? Uh, next slide. They replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. Like, Jesus, we've got 23 bucks. <laughs> There's 5,000 men besides women and children. And in uh, John, 
I can't remember. I think John says that someone says half a year's wages couldn't even feed these people, you know? Like there's such a crowd because it's 5,000, again, excluding women and children. Someone goes, man, I mean, if I had 25,000 bucks, I can't even, we couldn't feed these people, Jesus. I've got 20 bucks in my pocket. What do you, what do you want us to do? And he said, bring them here to me. So he's talking about the five loaves and the two fish. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish. Next slide, please. He looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. So after Jesus says, <laughs> said, give them something to eat, I, this had to be amazing to be a part of here. I mean, could you imagine us having this many people and someone's like, I got a box of cereal? And they're like, well, just sit everyone down and like everyone gets plenty <laughs> there's leftovers. I mean, you'll be like, what, what is happening right now? <laughs> but in John, so I, I did some Greek studying with Greg this week, you know. Sometimes when you're not sure, I have to call on Dr. McKenzie to make sure I don't say something wrong. I want to be right. Like, I want to be accurate. I right? have to be real. Like, because the NIV records that word blessed as gave thanks. And John, in his, uh, in his telling of the same story, it says that he gave thanks as well. And that Greek word can kind of be blessed or even give thanks. But we know because of what John records is that Jesus, in the midst of all this, in the midst of what just happened with John the Baptist, he takes time to take the bread and he is thankful. And I'm just like, this is one of the hardest times to be men and women of thankfulness is when something, when, when things aren't going well. And I think a lot of us here are probably men and women of thankfulness, but even having messages like last week stir in my heart, and I'm not as much as I should be. Like there's places where I can be so much more thankful to the Lord and tell people how thankful I am for them and, and all these kind of things. But it's really hard to do when, you're, when there's something painful that's happened. But I know based on just Jesus and who he is, that this is not some, thank you, Father, for this food, in Jesus' name, amen, let's eat, you know? That there's a spirit of genuine thankfulness to the Father. And there's two things that I, I, that I think, minimally, he's thankful for. Number one, I believe he's genuinely thankful for the food that's before him. He does this over and over and over again through the scriptures. He's thankful to the Father. Um, something that I've implemented in my life years ago when I really began to look at this. I used to pray all the time, this is not a wrong prayer, bless this food for the nourishment of my body, Father. And then I felt like God reminded me or helped me to see that um, in conjunction with that if I want to. But Jesus had an, a serious spirit of thankfulness. And I, th I think that there's often, because many of us it's been years or ever, never, that we've experienced not having food or wondering where our next meal might come that it's easy just to kind of plow through and do our and eat our food or whatever, but taking that time to pause and go, no, God, I mean, it's <laughs> it's by your grace that we have this, that I have this, and I pray that I pray that every time, Father, and say, God, who if there, who in my life doesn't have this, and how can I help? <laughs> how can I help? Because everyone isn't doesn't have food for days. But the second thing that I think that he that he's thankful for is the fact that he has complete faith in the Father that the Father's about to work a miracle. 
that he knows what's going to take place. And prior to it actually taking place, he has faith in the Father's goodness to do, for this to take place. How, same thing that happened with Lazarus. Before he says, Lazarus, come out, he says, Father, I thank you that you always hear me. And I love this because my brother Chuck is so good at this, if I, if I can say this. There's been many a times that someone needs prayer for something, and Chuck is not being presumptuous. Chuck is a man of faith, and he oftentimes would say, Father, I thank you that I know, you're, I know who you are and I know you're going to do this. And that challenges me because I think that that's a beautiful thing. This isn't name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. <laughs> oh, God, thank you for my Lamborghini. I can't wait for my 7,000 square foot house, Father. Thank you. But I think that there's another, not that, but another ditch to run into where, where we don't really pray much in faith and it's just kind of a hope, or as I've said before, maybe a Hail Mary toss. Hope maybe something will happen, God. But here, the Father Jesus knows the Father is going to, he says, thank you. Thank you, Father. I give thanks. And I know that that's in his heart, that he knows what's going to happen. So I want to encourage us to not be afraid. <laughs> as we pray and as we seek God, to go, Father, this is a tough financial situation for my friend, but I thank you that I, I know that you're going to work this out. I thank you, Father. I thank you, and, and, and even as I'm thanking God, what role can I play? Because I'm willing to do whatever it takes, Father, but I just want to thank you. I, I thank you. And as he does these things, and he's thankful, <laughs> the loaves and the fish multiply. They take up 12 baskets full, and, <clears throat> and those that ate were, <clears throat> excuse me, 5,000 men besides women and children. And then it goes on. Again, as I mentioned before, another big mistake might be plunge through it. Just be the man or woman of God and don't deal, don't deal with a think about this issue that you had. But immediately, it says in verse 22, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And, af and after he dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. I think there's probably those moments where, I don't know about you, but I might be like, finally, <laughs> I can be with God. I can deal with some of this. I can, I, can, I, I can have some just time to decompress here and to think through this. Another reason he went to the mountain by himself is they were trying to make him king. John records as well, so there's several things that are taking place. But he's spending time with the Father because it says he went up there to pray. He needed to go spend time with the Lord. A little time to recharge. That sometimes we need to learn how to give ourselves. Like there's some of us that struggle with, with taking that time to recharge and taking that time to deal with things that have taken place. Sometimes on the flip side, there's some of us that struggle with being paralyzed by the challenges that take place. And I don't, and I don't have like a black and white answer to all of it. It's, it's all led by the Spirit. But an encouragement for us to, even when it's tough, even when it's difficult, that we're listening to the Spirit's voice, that we're listening to what God wants to do, that we're aware that we have hearts of compassion that actually want to do something <laughs> for our neighbors here, uh, which I think I'm so thankful for all that Stones River is participating in. It just, it's exciting. It's so exciting. But it's actually have compassion that does, that works, that, 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 that reveals and brings God's kingdom near. 
that has faith that God wants to change things, <laughs> that has faith that God wants to heal the sick and to think about Jesus, the faith that God wants to feed those who are hungry. And we do it in a spirit of thankfulness. It's, ex- it's exciting. This, is, this whole passage has challenged me greatly in, <laughs> in many different ways. No, challenged my heart. Do I have the compassion? Man, am I, am I operating in that spirit of thankfulness? Is there places in my life where I've, I don't know if I really have uh, the faith that I used to have or the faith that uh, God's growing me, that I can grow in that? I mean, the beautiful thing is, is God's going to be with us as we do it. Father, uh, I th- thank you that you've, that you're here with us. I thank you, Father, that you've given us these stories that are just raw and real. I thank you, Jesus, that you showed, have shown us how even when things are challenging and difficult, we can still be just on mission. What are you doing? What's happening in your kingdom, God? And that, Father, that as we're doing that, we can do that in a spirit of thankfulness and also take care of ourselves how we need to, Father. Lord, I, just, I ask that you would help us to just embody this. And Holy Spirit, that you would search all of our hearts now. And as we're singing, uh, as we're just sitting, if some of us might just sit and meditate and think, that you would reveal these beautiful places that you want us to grow so that we can grow up into you. So that we can be the fullness of your body to our neighbors here to the hurting and broken in our city. And uh, that's what we want to do because we love you. Give us true compassion and love for others and love for you as we do all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.